Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room. Blay discussing Dead Pixels horror video game podcast, delivering a horrifying new episode every Monday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I am the other one, Neil Bolt. And for this month's edition of Horror Bites, in which Neil and I each highlight four bite-sized indie titles, we have a new bevy of free horror titles to chat about that can be typically completed in less than an hour. Now, not to say, Neil, that I don't always enjoy chatting horror games with you, no matter the size or scope, but, you know, Horror Bites has really quickly become probably my favorite segment that we've done, just because, you know, we each get to dive into different titles just kind of sight and scene on Itch.io or on Steam and don't do a lot of research into it or, you know, I don't even scan the comments necessarily that are associated with it on the site to see, like, what the sort of general consensus is. and really it's kind of drummed up some of the most memorable experiences that I've had with PC horror games and uh, recent memory. Yeah, I liken it to the old feeling of going to a video store and just looking at the back of a video and going, yeah, that looks good, like that, or looking at the front cover and going, yeah, something about that feels right for me. And I felt like was the stuff I picked this month, you know, they felt very much like my kind of picks without really realizing that it was ever going to be my kind of picks. And it was like, it was a really interesting sort of see that and see a sort of variety pop up, but still have a distinct flavor, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's really interesting how you can sort of almost guess whether or not you're consciously doing it or not, like what might be in yeah. line with your sensibilities just on site. Um, and yeah, that video store analogy is perfect for that. And I think that it's been really interesting too, you know, with any ecosystem where games are released or, you know, where the communities crop up, you start to see sort of similar trends amongst horror games. Not that, I mean, that's not saying that that's only something within the horror game community, but games in general, you know, you start to see people drawing from one or two specific inspirations. And then you see a lot of those types of imitators, but I'm always pleasantly surprised every month that we find that there's always just enough of a creative in a lot of those types of games that gives it that original flair, that original flavor that makes it an outlier in the long run. Because, you know, one of the games that I we're going to talk about this month that I picked, when I went back and thought about it on paper, I was like, oh, it's very similar to one of Neil's games. I should probably avoid doing that in the future. But then <laughs> once I actually sat down and played it, it felt like an extension of that, or it felt like yeah. that title was drawing from a similar inspiration that to one that you'd picked in our first iteration of Horror Bites, and yet they evolved on that in a way that felt so wholly that creator and felt like it was coming from a very personable place. Uh, so I'm excited to kind of dive into the rest of the picks that we've had this month. So why don't you lead us off for the month of April with your first pick for Horror Bites? Yes, I will. I will lead with Feeding Log uh, 01172013, catchy as that title is. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is by, I'm going to say, it's not Dino Snores, it's Danino Snores. Um, so this was an interesting one. I like, because the idea was, we had again going on the idea of what we've seen before and it's sort of informing what we pick. This had to look at that sort of, like, captured footage sort of thing we've had on a few picks so far um the idea is that you've stumbled upon a strange and a highly classified tape that documents the feeding and, and study of these mysterious creatures um but the tape has some sort of weird real in real life effect so 
when you play, pause and fast forward, the creatures don't like to be documented and they have a certain way of doing things. You know, they, they will only attack if you do certain actions that like fast forward too much or if you pause too much, if you don't pause in time. And it's learning both of their sort of patterns, if you will, by listening to the noises, the game starts to give you sort of clues to what you can do. And yeah, so it's it's an interesting one. How did, how did you go on with this one? Yeah, so when I think I was most taken aback by the fact that, yeah, it does resemble a lot of those kind of VHS camcorder style of horror experiences that we've seen a lot of, right? The idea that yeah. you're going to have that VHS camera perspective and then it's going to, you know, have something jump out at the screen inevitably. But I was surprised and found that it actually worked really, really well of adding more interactivity to it than something that was just like Maple County, where I, the one that I yeah. picked for last month, right? And that's not a slight against Maple County, but it was very much like, okay, you've got two options, click on one thing for a majority of that. Whereas with, you know, feeding log and the bevy of numbers that came after that, um, <laughs> with feeding log, it was very much that you're using the inputs that you would use on like a VHS player, which is like pause, play, and fast forward. And having that be central to the actual gameplay of it and having it be this almost kind of stealth approach to gameplay, but then, you know, it's not mission failed. It's that you get eaten by this creepy monster. Uh, that yeah. was a really, really cool building on my sort of expectations of what a game that looks like this would actually play like in the long run. Um, and also just the heavy emphasis on audio, right? A lot of the time, yes. these types of horror games, you know, of course, you're going to hear creepy and spooky things, but the audio informs the gameplay, which furthermore, you know, is more, almost more key to the player's survival than the actual interactivity portion of what I was talking about, right? They work in tandem with one another in a way that was really refreshing. And it was something I hadn't seen before in this sort of format style of a game. Yeah, I think one of the things that struck me immediately was not being sure of what I was getting into. Because, you know, you had this sort of real-life found footage style going on, and it's like, okay, interesting. And then, you know, the first time you actually get caught out by it, and it's like the jump scare thing of, oh, there you are, and it's over. And you're thinking, oh, is that it? That sort of thing. But then you get your first clue, you know, which basically tells you to listen for Alpha as he scrapes around the room. And if you hear him breathing and clicking, it means that he's close enough to kill you. And that means you should pause like that. You're like, oh, okay. So yeah, okay. Now I understand why, you know, you have the option to pause and fast forward and stop and all that. And it's cool that, yeah, each mistake sort of, um, lets you in on a new part of what you need to know about it. And it sort of, it goes about eight or nine different clues. And yeah, it, it's fun to figure it out. This sort of short form idea and the idea that this videotape is reaching out <laughs> in a way to you. It's kind of cool as well. It's a, like a, a really sort of surreal take on things that I like the unexplained nature of it. You know, that's, that's the best part about it where it feels like, how is this happening? Why is this happening? What are these creatures? And it doesn't really give you a satisfying answer. And I think that suits this perfectly. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of found footage style stuff when it, does these sort of playful things and this really sort of dies into it nicely yeah the learning through dying is really actually 
perfect for these short bite-sized experiences, right? Because, you know, there is more to it than just like clicking a series of buttons. And I was appreciative of also the depth with the two monsters that you never get anything more about them. You don't get more of their backstory. And, you know, by all accounts, they look exactly the same when you get caught by them. But at the end of the day, like they feed their personalities feed into the audio nature of the game, right? Because you have to listen Mm. for specific audio cues, which indicates, oh, this one's coming which then through dying repeatedly, you in turn learn like, oh, well, that means that I have to take this action if I want to survive. Um, And that's kind of just a fun give and pull and a layer of difficulty that, not to say I need all of these kind of like short horror bites to have a lot of difficulty or depth to them, but it was just nice to see that with something that looks so rudimentary from a distance, when you actually sit down and play it, there's a great deal of strategy and depth that goes into how to maneuver this environment or this horror bite. So yeah, it was um, a nice surprise, this one. So how about you? What was your first pick for the month? So my first pick was The Lighthouse by Giacomo Gianti, which is basically a remake of uh, the film, Robert Eggers' film, The Lighthouse. Yeah. uh, Beat for beat, which I lead with that, but that's not to discredit it or anything like that. That's just to say, like, going into this... If you've seen The Lighthouse, this will instantly click with you, hopefully in the way that it did for me, in being a very short, less than five minutes probably, but being incredibly atmospheric and recrafting that world in a way that feels like somebody that not only has an understanding of what Eggers was going for, but has faithfully, almost like to a shocking degree, faithfully recreated that island and that lighthouse down from not only just the environment itself, but from the sounds, it's in the middle of this storm. But also you hear that um, the alarm that plays or the blaring air horn, horn, basically. Yeah, Yeah, the horn that kind of shakes you to your core. And it's, you know, furthermore during a storm. So your character is probably like wet to the bone as it is that just completely unnerves in exploring this island. And I was very, very impressed with just not only the ability to recreate you know, it helps that I'm a huge fan of that film as well. Oh, yeah. But the idea that you're able to recreate the feeling of that film almost perfectly, I would say. Not to say that there's something I wish it had done differently, but just that it's able to recreate the space, but also the feeling that accompanies it. Um, and I will mention yeah. that Feeding Log and this are also both available on uh, Itch.io for people that yeah. are looking to check those out. Um, how did you get on with The Lighthouse? Yeah, I thought, you know, a nice sort of short experience um, brought to mind the sort of thing you'd sometimes get as a promotional tie-in on a website for a film, you know, like, a, oh, look, this is like a little mood taster, if you will, mm. of what it does. Because it does really just capture that sort of doomy, gloomy mood of the finale of the film. And, yeah, as you said, the audio works wonders for that. I mean, same aspect ratio as well, and, you know, the black and white, it, it's... A lovely little homage in, in that regard. And in that respect, I suppose it, it leans heavily enough on that that it doesn't really need to go too much on a story or anything or lead, or tell you anything that you don't already know because it's assuming you've you know, watched The Lighthouse and you know what you're getting into. But obviously coming into that, if you didn't, it would be a bit like, or what, what's going on here? You know, like that. It's very vague and very ambiguous. I mean, and you know, The Lighthouse isn't exactly... Uh, 
you know, dumbed down in itself. So, yeah, that that would probably be the only thing you could knock against it. But then, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It's supposed to be this sort of thing. Yeah, and if anything, like I said, that it was incredibly short. You could probably run through it in ninety seconds. But I spent probably ten minutes with it, just exploring every inch of the environment that you're able to. And you know, you start in a cabin. And just wandering around the cabin and exploring it, it's it's almost as if no expense has been spared and just like lining the walls and the shelves with as much detail as possible that there's not much to do in it other than explore, but there's enough detail there that it feels like a lived-in space. Um, and that is yeah. true from the inside the cabin to outside of it as well, right? You can kind of go down to this dock and you get a little creepy moment. There's only one or two, mm-hmm. what I would say are traditionally creepy moments but they do just enough to pique your interest, which for something of this size, I think is perfect. And it's interesting that you mentioned it being reminiscent of like a promotional type of game or experience. Because if I was somebody that had never seen Lighthouse, I would immediately go watch the movie after this, which I think yeah. is cool. Like, yeah, we have a greater appreciation for it maybe since we've seen the film, we're a fan of the film but the idea that you could play something like this and being like, huh, I wonder what the inspiration behind this was, which would not take much research to figure out. No. <laughs> um, it's the type of thing, though, that would, I feel at least, would compel somebody to want to see the movie if this clicked with them. Um, and for that reason, it was one that was a last minute edition because I had to swap out a pick because uh, one of them I wanted to pick was way too buggy. To, and I didn't feel like lambasting something for. 10 minutes for not running as well as it's um, interesting you say that because i I didn't have that in the end i mean i had problems with the get that game but Mm -hmm. i did finally get to some kind of conclusion so but Ah. uh, yeah i i I think yeah out of kindness won't mention the game Mm -hmm. anyway but yeah i I can see what you mean there was plenty of frustrating about it but yeah, I wanted. To, I figured I would lead this month with uh, something a little more positive because that's kind of like one of the tones of this show that I've. Uh, I think we have both strived to set in that you know not everything is always to our liking, but I find that I would rather talk about something that I have more enjoyment with than something that I'm like, well, this one thing was good, but hey, here's five or six others that weren't so hot for me. Um, yeah, but I'm glad you got on with the lighthouse as much as I did because that was certainly a. Uh, an atmospheric joy from uh, this month's picks. But how about you? What was your uh, what was your second pick for Horror Bites this month? Uh, so I'll go with Ambrosia next, which is basically you wake up aboard a research submarine called the USS Ambrosia. You're all alone and there's something very wrong with the ship. Um, so it's a developer that's made it called Clownworks. Um, it's their second attempt at a horror-style 3D game. It's basically a short story, about 10 minutes or so. Uh, has puzzles that feature you basically have like an orb of light that can like push and pull certain blocks. And all the while you're getting like this um, you know, radio feed of you know, coming out and trying to find out what's going on. It's good for atmosphere as games go. You know, it's very simplistic visual style. Not like it's not tied to what you think considering it's set on a submarine. It's very basic, very bleak. It's letting its audio work do a lot of the heavy lifting, I think, in that sense, which works pretty well for it, to be fair. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, the audio, they've got 
like proper voice work going on in there as well, which really does sort of add to it. And yeah, that ends up being what I took the most away from it. I think it's like I wasn't too hot on the puzzling itself, but it's pretty much gets it out, out of the way as quick as it can and gives you a good taste of what it wants to do. And yeah, I thought it was a effective as a, a mood piece, but um, probably lacking a little bit in, in some ways. It's hard to sort of say why, I think, because it has gameplay, it has story. I just don't think they connect very well. Yeah, I was expecting there to be more of an emphasis on like horror elements that tie it all together, right? I think that's the piece mm. maybe that is missing from it, is that there's no traditional horror moments that tie everything together, which might bridge that gap in a way, because like you said, the mechanics for the most part are solid and sound. The puzzle design, I think is fine enough. It doesn't necessarily do something that you haven't seen necessarily before, Hmm. but for a bite-sized experience, right? That push and pull mechanic, I thought was done well enough for what it was. And, you know, it was the puzzles themselves were fairly simplistic, but for what it was in that experience, I was impressed with the ability to manipulate environments in a way more so than just like, okay, I'm going to turn this lever, even though there's one puzzle where it's just turning three levers. But overall, though, the puzzles themselves had a bit more physics to them, which I liked, or just manipulation of the environments. I also liked how oppressive the environment was of being in that submarine. You feel very constricted, like you had said. The audio design helps a lot with that in conveying a sense of space and atmosphere. And, you know, I'm always appreciative of voice work that ties into everything where it just – it makes it feel like it's a bigger production than it is, right? Because think about how many of the games we've played where it's just like beeps and bloops and then there's text that pops up on the screen. So to have full audio is actually like quite a big deal I find with some of these much yeah. smaller games. Um, but yeah, you know, the one thing I will say though about the mechanics is, is that I got stuck in a wall pro- or stuck in blocks that I was moving <laughs> – about four or five times, but I'll say that there's a reset mechanic that just sends you right immediately back to the beginning of the room that you were in, which, yeah. you know, I mean, it was no skin off my back because it just took two seconds to reset that. Um, That's it, yeah. That was one thing I encountered, though. Yeah, that, that very much seems like they found that problem while they were making it. Well, there's the easiest solution, which is good, yeah, to come out from that. Um yeah, you were saying about like the sense of space is quite good in terms of I would talk, go back to the lighthouse as well and just say there was a section in there where you actually got the lighthouse stairs and how narrow and precarious mm. they feel. It's like really well done. And it's reminded me of that because here it's like turning, turning in this is really sensitive. You know, like the, the movement is very sensitive, but because space is so small, you just feel like you get turned around and you, you don't quite understand where you are. And because everything is so basic in its visual design, it does get you sort of like feeling a bit disorientated and claustrophobic. And that works brilliantly for a submarine because you would have just such this small space where you could turn around twice and get yourself all discombobulated. So yeah, yeah, I think it does that really well. Yeah. Also, it's a minor thing, but like just the further you you, um, descend into the submarine – that you actually have to like worry about drowning, right? And again, yeah. that is a very that's like a very common thing in a lot of video games, obviously. But when you again, 
bringing it back to the size of this and the bite-sized nature of it and the small production, little elements like that that are so commonplace yeah. in games that have much bigger budgets and full-fledged games and this and that, it just further elevates the perception of the product almost, I think. Like just finding a lot of standard conventions in these, I don't know if I would say less than conventional uh, sized games, but just these little scenes of horror, I find yeah. it just – it probably – largely influences my overall perception of the entire thing in a way that makes me more appreciative or maybe more impressed by it, um, which I think definitely helps with the game that, for me, was all about atmosphere. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it really does go strong on the atmosphere and works. That In that regard, that's probably where it works strongest. So, second pick for you. Yeah, my second pick is going to be Cleaning Redville by Doppler Ghost. And this is another one that you can find on Itch.io. And I believe all my picks this month were on Itch.io. Um, mm -hmm. but cleaning, Same. Yep. But with Cleaning Redville, you very suddenly are thrust into the boots of a garbage man. And your first task to allow your garbage truck to move is you have to clean up the amount of garbage in an area. And you're contained to each of the areas you'll be exploring and you'll eventually hit like a barrier that says, oh, there's this many pieces of garbage left and you either have to pick up individual yeah. bags or you have to pick up a garbage bin, which has three bags in it as a whole. So on paper, this is very, very simple. And yet every time you come to a new area that needs to be cleaned of refuse, you find yeah. a letter or a note basically on a telephone pole and there's some type of ominous message within that, um, that indicates to maybe more nefarious happenings in this neighborhood. Um, this one, I was really impressed just right out the gate by the animation. Um, it's, again, sounds very simple, but the fact that when you throw garbage into the back of the truck and then you pull the lever on the side, you get a full-blown animation of the arm lifting up the trash bins and throwing it the garbage in or just it being compressed and compact. Uh, again, that that might sound pretty simplistic, but for something of this size and caliber, again, there's a lot of moving parts in that animation that every time I did it, I was like, wow, this this looks really, really good and polished. Furthermore, mm. in addition, just getting into the garbage truck and driving around an environment I found was more or less smooth enough, right? You come into to a telephone pole, you can get stuck on that, and then you have to back up and then maneuver. Yeah. But overall having different layers of interaction and environmental traversal, I was really impressed with with something of this size and, you know, driving around a, a suburban neighborhood at night and having creepy letters left for you is uh, ominous enough. But how did you get on with uh, with this one? Well, I, we've discussed this with certain games before on here. That, and I love the idea of menial job horror because it, it makes sense. There's, you see all sorts of shit in menial work and putting spins on that really works and you know, ever since Five Nights at Freddy's really you know, popularised the idea of having you know like doing that sort of job where you're on your own most of the time and having to do stuff like that it, it works because you can just have your working hours outside of most people's existence and you can get the worst of society in some ways and yeah this Captures the routine nicely, I think, you know, the idea, you know, having that, you go do the bins, only do a certain amount, having these little rules in place and the fact that you do just go from, you know, truck back out, get the bins, do the routine of getting them crushed, come out, find a little more out about the story. 
Yeah, I thought it was nicely paced. You know, it's like it, it was one of the longer ones for this month, but it worked for it. You know, it felt, you know, it's one of those, if you understood the game going in, it wouldn't take that very long. I think you'd be like, okay, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I think like two in, I, I kind of got the idea that, yeah, if, if I see a bag early on, I'll get those in and then go a little further and I'll get the rest then because it seemed to be the pattern that was going. And it, yeah, that worked out, but that felt like learning the job, you know, which was good. I think that, that worked well for it. It's, you know, it went for a couple of like cheap fake out jump scares on purpose, you know, to sort of like, oh, something's coming, something's going to happen like that. And then it never really goes there in the end, which is great. I think it is, it becomes very much like a, a different kind of story where it doesn't rely on like, oh no, you're going to get freaked out by something at the end and it's going to come after you or like that. It's just back to a, a slow realization of, you and your part in this story, which is yeah, nice and effective. Uh, I like that it had quite a slow burn ending, you know, to it. Yeah, I think that the pacing is really well served in terms of blending those moments in, because at the end of the day, a lot of those little jump scare moments, they're never so. I, I mean, you can't miss them, but at the same time, it's yeah. nothing that would be so over the top that if you were in that character's shoes that it would dissuade you from or abandoning your route, right? I think that they do just enough to have these creepy instances where it's like, that's weird, that's out of the ordinary. But when you're in a job that is in the middle of the night where you don't normally see people and the people you do see, it's 50-50 on whether it's going to be a normal interaction or not. You're like, okay, well, maybe this is just the norm of seeing weird things or random things happening at night. Um, and I like how the fil- how the game really builds up to that big final moment before the credits. And then that moment isn't just done as a cheap scare, but it blends back into the overall narrative and the story that's being told in a way that makes it, you know, not incredibly, but a little more meaningful, I found almost, or having more weight yeah. behind it. It doesn't feel like it's just being done as this cheap, oh, let's make them shit their pants right before the end of it, which, you know, we've definitely seen with some of these types of games. Um, mm-hmm. I was appreciative of the fact that it all tied together in a way that it felt like it was saying something or everything that has happened has a meaning to it, even if, you know, yeah. it might be thinly veiled, but it still has some sort of significance other than just being like, hey, let's, let's scare them one last time before they fuck off and play something else. Yeah, it knew its own story and where it wanted to go with it just stuck to that which was yeah massive respect on that one how about you what was your uh what was your third pick my third pick and we're going into the weirdo ones now <laughs> um <laughs> when i said these picks were very me um i've definitely waited for the last two here because the last two were fucking bonkers to say the least and i love them for it that to call them horror would be in like what most people would call horror no but they have the mood and the weirdness and the strangeness that I enjoy, you know, and I will say, you know, that's a great point that you're making. And at the same time, as I played them, I was thinking, cause you know, I, after I played both of your next two picks, I did scroll the comments on itch.io to see what people thought of them. And, you know, I would say half of them were like, well, these aren't horror. These aren't scary. And it's like, well, they're not scary. That's not the point of them. Mm. To say, though, that they're not horror or horror adjacent, I would say is completely false because there are two great examples, I think, of games that can occupy the horror space or or being horror adjacent 
that there's merit to that. And I think that these kind of spit in the face of the idea that like to be horror or to be horror adjacent, your game has to be scary, which I think is an incredible disservice to the genre itself, which yes. I think it does those two games that you're about, that we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. Like those two games, I think thrive on the fact that they are horror or horror adjacent. And yet they're not trying to scare you, which I think is no. doing it allows that weirdness, which you're going to get into in a moment, uh, to shine in a really, really great way. Because if they weren't horror or horror adjacent, you would kind of just like be confused as to what the purpose of these were. But go on. Okay, so I'll start with Ghost in the Washing Machine, um, which the title alone. <laughs> okay, this just sounds daft. I'll give it a go. But wow, that it does just initially I had trouble getting it running. Uh playing through the itch.io uh sort of app but um i tried it through the streaming version and that worked better the browser one uh, and but yeah so you are basically an elderly washing machine maintenance engineer who's in this gray misty horrible place who has to go and repair some washing machines his little tool that he uses for it isn't working very well and so he thinks that he can just fuck off after a little while and go home and then some Strange guy, like a real life person. The main character is like this weird, you know, polygonal stretched human that you get in a lot of uh, indie horror. And yet, this real guy comes into a cutscene type environment and says, "No chance, you're going home. Here's some batteries," and gives you these weird, magical, mystical batteries to finish your job. Um, And so you go back into the place. Fixing all these washing machines, making, you know, the guys, this very gruff northern guy, making, uh, English guy, uh, making all these comments about they don't make them like they used to, and, you know, <laughs> like, like, oh, that's a proper one, that sort of thing, like that, about the washing machines. And then every time you're doing this, almost the little, the real guy is coming up on the little screen on this, this fixing machine. Like giving you little pep talks about, you know, it's like in, you know, you could be having two, a couple of cold pints in four hours from now when you're done like, like that. And it's just funny, you know, it, it's so simple and so silly an idea. But God almighty, did it just take me back to the time of just the sort of absurd shit you'd get on TV at two o'clock in the morning. You know, I've referenced that on so many things in the past, but really this just did do that perfectly uh just to point out this is made by fox dog studios it was made in 72 hours and uh, for a game jam and yeah it, it's fantastic you know i think one of the two uh, lloyd henning and peter sutton did the uh acting role in here as well so it, it's really fun and really silly and really low rent in the best possible way and i had a great time with that yeah i you know, when when I saw that you sent this over and I just looked at it, I was just like, uh, what the hell is this? Like, <laughs> I was so taken aback by the concept, by, you know, the low rent look of it. And but you were nailed it 100%. The fact that, you know, it really leans into that in the best way possible. And it comes through in the game's humor and attitude doesn't take itself too seriously. And it's better off for it, right? I was most surprised that when you actually get around to playing it, it almost felt reminiscent of like typing of the dead, right? Cause that's yes. the mini game when you have to, you know, I guess you're 
you're uh, exercising the demons or the ghosts from the washing machines, right? And so you have yeah. to use that device and a letter will pop up and you have to hit all the letters in a row before before time runs out and then you essentially like defeat the washing machine. And every time you do, your character levels up so that way you can face even more powerful washing machines, which, you know, that just equates to, I think it's less time to get all of your keystrokes in before time runs out and then I would assume you lose or something or it, it worsens your uh, letter grade once you complete it. But like you had said, such a fantastic sense of humor. Uh, but like the guy that you're playing as clearly should have retired five years ago. He's so burnt out. He's saying stuff like, <laughs> um, what does he say? Synthetics ruin washing machines. And the things I have smelled on this job were two quotes that I just love because <laughs> it's so indicative of somebody that is completely over this job. They're done with it. And yet – they have this young, flashy guy that's got the job above them that they should probably have telling them like, oh, well, you know, we'll get you a pint and a steak and then you can just two more hours, three more hours, whatever it is. But I just loved this game. It's so much personality, so much humor, you know, very loosely using the horror genre. But at the same time, if it was not a horror game, then it, this would just kind of like be a very strange thing. Like, well, why is this have haunted washing machines yeah. and ghosts and this and that, but it's a fantastic example, I think, of the types of experiences that you can have within the horror genre, and it's not about scaring you at all. Like you said, you've right. got this polygonal stretch on the main character that is completely goofy and low-rent looking and low-poly, but at the same time, it gives a lot of personality and charm to this, especially yes. when it's contrasted against the... Uh, I don't know how you would describe it, but the live action video of your superior basically like yes. basically being patronizing the entire time to you. Yeah, uh, that, that contrast is perfect for what it's doing as well. And what we were saying about, you know, the dynamic of like old guy well past his sell by date on the job being bossed around by someone who doesn't do any of the work sort of thing. And in that sort of condescending, you know, oh, you can do it sort of way, but I'm actually telling you to do a horrible amount of work for fuck all. You know, and I love that. Because again, it, it taps into that idea of this, that kind of job, you know, where it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm sure many people can relate to that, having someone above them that shouldn't be you know, telling you how to do the job that they don't have a fucking clue about. And it's perfect, you know, in that regard. Um, yeah, it just felt very, very, uh, much like some sort of surreal skit. And I think the, the surreal nature of it is what makes it. I mean, towards the end of it, it does get a bit trippy as well, which is good and works out. And then just ends on a nice little you know, punchline of a joke of it, which is just, yeah, perfect. Love that. Good, good times on that one. So how about you? Pick three for you. Yeah. My third pick is uh, Rojo, a Spanish horror experience by Miguel Moreno. Um, and this is one where. You're showing up at an apartment because it's the last place that your missing friend was, and you yep. are exploring their disappearance. You find your way into the apartment, and you're basically exploring this environment that is very, very oppressive, right? There's nobody there that you can see, and yet you get the inklings that something somewhat nefarious has happened, like there's rotting food. You find a butcher knife embedded into a table. There's broken yep. uh, plates and whatnot around, and... This was a really, really great example of a lived-in environment that is the experience, right? Because it's that yes. you're not inundated with like jump scares or anything. The environment itself is incredibly unsettling, 
And also, I think, you know, it's interesting that the title says a Spanish horror experience in it. And I think that that's key, though, because it does a great job of putting you into a space that you are not going to be more than likely culturally knowledgeable of or something that you yourself might not have any sort of experience with. You know, I'm a white guy from the United States. So saying that, it's like, okay, so that's a primer. But then how often when a game says like, we're going to put you in an environment that's indicative of a culture that you've never been a part of or a place you've never been a part of and you're like – Okay, so there's going to be a flag of another country on a wall, but it's going to look like everything else. That's not the case with Rojo, I found. I found that this does a really great job of capturing a period of time, capturing a sense of culture and community and just maybe a one specific point in time of a Spanish culture or a Spanish area and whatnot, just based off of like the types of pictures that are hanging on the wall of different leaders or military leaders, things that are playing on TV and the news and throughout the decoration, there's like lots of culturally uh, religious significant items strewn throughout the apartment and whatnot. So from that side of things, I was very impressed with the ability to put me into an environment that I myself am not familiar with. And yet Mm. it feels like it is very legitimate or it feels like it's coming from a personable place, right? Because I don't have myself a point of reference for that. But the fact that I'm able to be put into an environment like that and it feel legitimate and not feel, I don't know, cheap or phoned in is significant, I think. On you know the other horror side of things, it's able to make an environment that is oppressive to everyone, no matter their background or familiarity with certain things, just from – the ways in which they have like rotting food or they have uh, just the decrepit nature of the house. It's not just like flipped over furniture and whatnot. It's very subtle initially, right? You see like a walker in the living room that nobody is with. It's like, okay, well, if the walker's there, where's the person that accompanies that? Or you see a pill bottle that's like dumped over and there's no pills left. It's like, well, if they ran out of pills and they need those, what happened to them? So little things yeah. like that, that layer and layer and layer in a way that – I found that this was a game that does a great deal without relying on a lot of the traditional sort of jump scares. And it looks really, really fantastic with the, um, I believe it was Unity, but it's a fantastic looking short, I think. How did you get on with uh, Rojo? Yeah, um, I think it was Unreal, actually. Oh, this one, that would make sense why it looks so good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, afterwards I was like, okay, I like the, you know, the history of this, but a lot I want to look into it a bit. And look, you know, I looked at the game pages where I mentioned about it being like the Franco regime, sort of uh, of Spain, which went from the, you know, the end of the thirties all the way to nineteen seventy-five, where they were basically, for all intents and purposes, in a dictatorship, and hence it's you know it's quite a fascist way of life in a lot of ways compared to what came after, which was more of a democracy. Um, so yeah, that lent a lot more to it in the same way that. Um, when I think of games like Detention, you know, Detention by Red Candle, you know, where that was very much a picture of a time in a country where they had that kind of dictatorship style re- regime going on. And while this is a lot more subtle with it, you know, it, it had that same sort of vibe to it. There was something wrong and off about the place, you know, beyond the, the usual things, like you said, with the, you know, the pill bottles and the stuff that's like left like that. There's so much atmosphere built up in the, that, little apartment building you know and it's 
uh, from sort of Spanish buildings uh, I've been to and seen, it has that sort of vibe to it as well. I think if you want a sort of comparison point, maybe if you you know if you've seen Wreck, you know you, you know that's uh, the, the Spanish uh, found footage horror film. You know that that has a lot of that sort of similar architecture style and uh, feel to the building. And so yeah, I, I got that sort of mood from it straight away. I kind of liked it better before it sort of plays its hand, you know, and gets a bit more supernatural. Um, I felt it might have been more effective without it. But once you get past that point and sort of towards the end of what it actually is, I was more comfortable with it, you know, then it, it just, but at the time I was kind of enjoying the, the sort of slow build to what's this all about and find the little notes and, I'll tell you what, the control scheme for this was really intuitive. I, I was very surprised by that. You know, the whole idea of like just not like pressing a button to pick up a letter and getting like a text scroll in front of you. You know, you literally just look closer. You know, you click the mouse button and you look closer at the writing that someone's got on the page. And, you know, which is, you know, pick your chosen language at the beginning of the game because it's English or Spanish. So if you choose Spanish, Obviously, you're going to get every written word in Spanish. But yeah, all the while, you know, they're bathing you in the idea of the time and the place. The radio is playing, you know, a very, you know, I guess about 50s-ish sort of style Spanish radio. And uh, that's constantly going throughout. And you're just sort of getting little drifting lilts of it as you go from room to room. And yeah, it just, it feels like a lovely little lived in place. I mean, I say lovely in a very you know, <laughs> dark and dark and right. dreary, horrible way, but it, it does just, it's lovely in the sense of like, I like when things feel like that, you know, when you feel like you're in a place and you're exploring it like that. And yeah, it, it really did sort of capture something nice. So I was really into that sort of everything it managed to do in a very short period of time was really well done. Like I said, tiny apprehension where it goes for a bit but once that's passed i think it works for the whole part yeah i'm really glad that you brought up the uh the notepads because i think that that element of the gameplay and the interactivity really does a great job of complementing the direction and what i find so strong about Mm. this in that you get out of this experience what you put into it. And if you're like us and you want to explore every nook and cranny, there's so much environmental storytelling there. And you don't have to be told like, okay, here's an indicator of where you need to go to grab this document or this notepad. And even when you do find it, more or less, you have yeah. to remember what it says. Not that there's a great deal of information, but it's just not one of those things where you interact with it and it f- centers on your screen and fills up and then you get a little notification. Oh, Look for this portrait to move or this bookshelf to move or this and that. Whereas you just have to read through it. You have to zoom in on it. And that furthermore just facilitates the idea that, okay, you have to explore this environment to the umpteenth degree almost to further understand and uncover what's going on, the mystery and where it leads you. Um, I will say I definitely agree with you in terms of when the game goes full supernatural towards the end. That's when I felt a little underwhelmed just because of how strong the environmental exploration piece is without that. That when you get to that portion in the back end of the game, it starts to be a little more familiar and kind of the similar familiar trappings rather that you would find of like a horror layer or something of that effect without going too much into it. But 
I'll say that a gorgeous and strong example of environmental storytelling um, that is akin to a lot of the reasons why I love a lot of, uh, you know, walking simulators or adventure games, if you want to uh, label them as such. But yeah, this was one that yeah. I got a lot more out of, you know, than I thought I would. And I uh, really enjoyed it. Understandable. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. It was a a nice piece to sort of go through in terms of having a rich history behind it as well. It made it feel a bit more like unique, if you will. You know, it, it felt like somebody's story, which I think we said a couple of things, you know, this month especially it does just feel better when somebody's telling something that feels personal absolutely but uh for your final pick what did you have for us <laughs> i had blockage um which i i i will say i readily admit i picked because having just been having covid for the first time in the last couple of weeks and having this sort of up and down weird cruddy illness from it, it it's um it was like, yeah, let's have a game about an illness and dealing with an illness <laughs> like that in your body. And it's obviously the worst part of having this and the fevery sort of, oh, I feel awful sort of state. This is the kind of game that would have played out in my head because it just, it does feel like a fever dream of a game. And boy, did I love it for that. Again, this is a another game that was made for Ludum Dare Jam, like the previous one. So another 72-hour game. Um, this was made by Disorder, again on Itch.io. Uh, and I have to highlight immediately the, the theme, the, the music that plays around. It's called uh, Delay of the Inevitable, and I love that song going through it. It just feels so... You know, if you like to partake in certain recreational um, things... Why playing games, I think this would be a perfect game for it. The music and the visuals of it, it would just be like, what the fuck am I doing here? What What is this? This is just, whoa. So, to sort of clarify, it opens with this sort of, it's like you're watching a cutscene made out of weird paintings, yeah? Um, that are being animated of a guy talking about how he's felt ill and he's trying to eat and it then sort of zooms into his body and suddenly you are like this little thing fight an antibody essentially that has a little face. Um, and it sort of goes around these sort of meaty looking areas, killing things and, you know, killing the germs and whatever and having to find sort of find the route around this area to, it's very simple in this way. You basically just, following it wherever it goes, killing whatever's there, the little powers that you can pick up, and basically curing yourself, if you will, as it seems. And, yeah, I just... I was just blown away by what it did with so little. You know, it's such a very simple concept. And yet, it just captures a, a mood. Again, I said this about, uh, you know, with the previous game... It just has that late night TV thrown together in five minutes feel of the 2000s internet, you know, that, and that's perfect. I, I, that is so nostalgic for me in a very proper way. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I could not have more nice things to say about this game in that regard. It is just so weird and out there and trippy and hypnotic. And yeah, I, I think it, it deserves 
to get a bit more attention because it is just fun and, and just weird in the best way. I will say I can definitely co-sign the rec- recreational activities. Uh, <laughs> the, definitely the way to uh, properly enjoy this. But yeah, no, this was a game that, you know, I would almost, you know, while the gameplay in this is completely foreign to the game I'm about to mention, stylistically, it's very much in line with like Cruelty Squad, I think, in terms of the way that it looks yeah. and having this very trippy kind of looks piecemealed together graphical style and, you know, having a trippy hypnotic musical sensibility to back it up. But it all melds together in a way that's really quite aesthetically pleasing might be the wrong way to put it, but aesthetically making sense and just like being an ecosystem of weird together uh, in the perfect way. And, you know, as a simple blaster, like I would, you know, it's not a twin stick, but I would say that it's very much built like a twin stick blaster, right? You're kind of maneuvering this area and then just shooting repeatedly until these little blobs die that are the blockage in this character's body. It all, it, I mean, it plays like a dream, it has its own aesthetic to it that feels unique. It's tied into a central theme behind that storytelling and weirdness. Um, and, you know, it works in a way that's fantastic. It's capitalizing on a simple premise with a simple look. Even if it is unique, it's like a simple look, simple playing. But it just all melds together in a way that feels very unique and enjoyable and different. Um, and, you know, like you would said, that track that plays throughout the background is just like the perfect perfect accompaniment to what it is. And I really, really enjoyed Absolutely. it because, you know, I don't know, maybe I have a tendency sometimes to be like, okay, this is a bite-sized experience to download versus one that you can play in the browser. But I think that this game is a great example of just because something is browser only doesn't mean that it's going to be limited in terms of creativity or the employment no, of no. graphics, gameplay, or audio all melded together. So yeah, this was a, a delight to play. Having said that, you can play this one without the browser if you want to. Oh, you it can. Does have that option? Yeah. So I'm um, just. I think I've noticed that when doing this this month, that generally, even the browser ones, you can sort of download and play if, if you have the itch.io app. Which oh, is okay. Quite cool. I think just certain games don't work. Like uh, Ghost in the Washing Machine didn't really work right. that way for me. But yeah. It, it was nice, especially because it just filled the screen and just felt, yeah. In a way, I wish I'd played it like a couple of weeks ago, you know, when I was feeling really <laughs> uh, spaced out from illness because it would have been like, what the hell is this thing? It, in a whole different way. It, it, it is just that trippy, like, did I imagine that sort of thing? Or is this as weird and as odd as it, it seems or is it just me? Sort of thing, but yeah, it's something more unnerving about the fact that it felt very uh, like that, despite that, despite <laughs> being in a better state of mind. Right. <laughs> I mean, and you know, in terms of like the aesthetic, just the fact that it's really meaty and you know, like everything. Sorry, I would say it's like like slaughterhouse art house R type. You know, that's the best way to describe it for me. It's just sort of like in a way, it's a uh, yeah, grisly in a very hearty way. Body horror yeah, centric. So, that's it. Yes, without being pretentious, you know, if you know what I mean. It's like, like, nah, fuck it. This is what we're doing, sort of thing, and it works. So we're on to your final pick. Yeah, my final pick is going to be the shopping list by Jordy Boy, um, and this was probably the longest game 
that we've played so far for this. You know, we always mm. have that caveat. We try to keep things picks under an hour that they can be completed in. But the reality is, is that a majority of them, it's like 20 minutes or less. And 20 minutes is even a stretch a majority of the time. This one took me about 40, 45 minutes, I think, to complete. Yeah. Um, and that's a testament to, you know, not only the length, but I definitely added additional time onto that just because I wanted to explore every inch of this world. And so yes. you play a character that is moving to a new town. And of course, you've arrived super late to your new hometown or your new town. And you have to go out and shop and buy some basic amenities. So you have to go to the grocery store. You got to go to a uh, like a shampoo store and all these different things. You've got this laundry list. You got to go to the butcher to get steaks and whatnot. And it's actually very simple or similar concept to uh, Experiment Groceries, which was one of the first games that you picked for Horror Bites back in January. Um, but yeah. this is definitely more expansive and it's more elaborate of a story that it's telling in that it feels very personable. There's a... a large number of environments that you explore with characters that you can interact with, with their own text and backgrounds. And I was really taken aback by the size of this experience, but also the fantastic blending of humor and horror intention in a way that really, really worked for me. And, you know, I, I believe that the person that developed this Jordy boy was, I think they said they were either in middle school or high school. And they developed yeah, this middle, their, middle high, yeah. yeah, middle high, um, which I assume is like junior high. But uh, anyways, like it's such an expansive experience that really capitalizes on a lot of the staples that you find in a lot of these itchio horror games and whatnot. You know that low poly horror. You've got this kind of laundry list, the mundane nature of a task, and this is the best example I think I've played of that so far. And that it checks all those boxes. It executes on them really, really well, really, really memorably. Yeah. But also for me, what was really important was the personable nature of the story, which is not apparent from the outset. From the outset of no. playing this game, there's no indication that this is going to be anything more than just the mechanics of going through, again, that mundane nature of a task, going to the grocery store, going to the butcher, this and that, and then throwing in creepy bits. But this ends up being a very personable experience that tells a story that you know has to come from a legitimate place uh, within the developer, maybe their own experience or someone else's experiences that they know. And if anything, that just further elevates this in a way that, you know, not to say few of these horror bite experiences have, but it just made this a real standout, not only of the month, but I think of anything that I've played so far for horror bites. How did you get on with this? Yeah. I mean, in that, I think it's the second time I've said this now since we started doing this. It's a game that is going to be on my list at the end of the year, I think, because it just on its own right. No, I don't put qualifiers on games being particular length anyway, but you know, when it's as surprising as this, when you end up with something so complete, you know, and yeah, you were saying about like having that real life influence. I think you've mentioned at the end that you know it's based on a, a story that the developer's mother told about an experience of being followed home whilst out shopping, and that in itself was like that was interesting. And yeah, it's just the way it played out. You know, as you said, it was very similar at first with the idea. Oh, okay, shopping list. You've got to get some stuff. We've been here before. But 
it really does just expand on that idea massively. You know, it really takes it to a whole other level and the shopping list is not really the important piece, you know, anymore. And it, it just goes beyond. And think about the visual style as well. That to me, is just brilliant. Uh, I, I just love, you know, we've had so many games like that anyway, where, you know, you had this sort of lo-fi style where people, you'll get sort of realistic-ish faces slapped onto things, onto characters, and they look weird because of it. And this is done here so well. Uh, it was surprising. Like it's like there was, and it made it more unnerving and weird when you had these sort of very real-looking faces on these very low polygon-style models. And like, ah, what's the shot? You know, when you go into the beauty shop, the body shop, and the, the girl that's there doing that—that that face, especially was like that's amazing. <laughs> that, that's per- that's creepy in just the right way because it's just like it's so unnerving the way it looks here and just how everyone is so weird in this without being like you know like stereotypically weird I just it has such a vibe to the whole town and how things go and how it all descends into this I like that you could if you were going to maybe say something about the game that you didn't like you say oh well it doesn't make much sense like but it doesn't make sense in a way that works for the game, I think, and experience in that it, the, the rule set of the game feels very loose anyway, and everything feels a bit like surreal and not, and absurd, and you're like, okay. Yeah, I mean, like, you're paying, you, you very calmly pay $15 for more, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, all right, yeah, no, no protest, no nothing, no indication that, oh, hang on, I've just moved to a new town, I'm going to move to some shitty apartment on my own. Apparently, I can afford $15 for milk. If you read too much into that, you're like, well, that sounds ridiculous. But the way everything plays out, it's perfect. Because no. it, it's just the little moments you're going, what? Why? Why? We're like that. And that just carries on just throughout. Little surprises, little knocks like that. And some of it is really smart in terms of how the storytelling is done. You know, for you know, it's a student to be doing this, you know. And... Yeah, particularly I think of the reveal towards the end of what, you know, what's going on. And then you think back to the point that's referenced, you know, about that. And you're given a choice in that dialogue that gives you away and causes you more trouble than you're worth. And straight away, we're like, ah, okay, that's cool. I like that. That's really cool. And yeah, I was very impressed by that. And I just think, the way it looks, the way it works out in terms of atmosphere and tone, the fact it doesn't push you too much with things, it doesn't go for jump scares, it goes for like the creeping dread, you know, with that influence there of, you know, what was said about, you know, being followed and feeling like, you know, okay, trying to keep everything as normal as possible because maybe you're just being silly and maybe you're overreacting. And yeah, it just keeps doing little things like that. And then even then when the weird and nasty stuff starts happening, it, it still goes at this very, okay, we're not going to panic. We're going to keep going through this sort of pace. And I like that about it. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if it's, you know, on purpose, but it felt like it just because of the way it had been throughout the game where, you know, nobody's overreacting to anything. Nobody's screaming their head off about it. It's just very much a matter of fact, like, and, 
I think given what you learn about the character, the main character anyway, it makes more sense that they're not like, you know, freaking out about everything, you know, when things are going wrong. So yeah, it's a really surprisingly, you know, well put together game, you know, and that's not to be condescending just because, oh, it's someone young making it. I think for anyone young is irrelevant. Anyone who's surely not been doing this for that long. And with that little personal life experience, you know, that's amazing, you know, to put that much into that and get that much out. That's, you know, on a par with stuff like Bloodwash, you know, in, in terms of, you know, which shares a lot of traits this does with that. And yeah, I, I'm, yeah, very impressed with it. Incredibly well rounded. And, you know, we talk about pacing in terms of these experiences and this does such a great job of establishing the setting. And immediately it leads with like a lot of humor, I think. And that's kind of like what you had yes. brought up with the milk, right? You go to the store and all of a sudden milk is $15 and the guys, you have to literally wake up the clerk before he, you, you know, you get to enter in what you want to be called and whatnot. And then he's like, oh yeah, I'll be back there. And if it's not there, I can go look in the back, which is like a very kind of like off the cuff retail thing where it's like, well, if we don't have it, it's probably in the back. And then you walk in the back and do a couple of circles and come out and you're like, oh yeah, there's, there's nothing here. We're, we're sold out. And then, I mean, there's like literally like a big sign that says out of stock yeah. as well, which is like, and the fact that he couldn't even be bothered to know it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we've been there. So everyone's been there. <laughs> but even just like the milk that you buy, the brand is called Musty Milk. And then you end up buying it <laughs> off of a guy that's sitting on top of the counter that then throws a fit when the clerk forces him to sell it to you or to give it to you to buy. Like little oddity humor like that, that is so... I don't know if I would say overbearing, but it's so in your face. You can't miss those moments and it's layered, right? There's a couple instances like that, right? You run into a cop, then you don't have your ID on you and the cop can't see. So you go to the dumpster and you dig up an ID and it's his ID. And then you just show it to him. He goes, yeah, it looks good. But then it's like little moments like that. And then you get little rumblings of tension, and right? You get, oh, well, there have been... You shouldn't be shopping here at night. There's like stuff goes on at night around here. And then you hear about a disappearance, but... It's never just in your face, which is perfect, I think, because of you think about how long this experience is. It's about 40, 45 minute experience. When these types of bite sized things lead too heavily with the horror, when you kind of, again, like you blow your load in the first 10 minutes with that stuff, you're like, well, okay, where can this go from there? And so, again, you know, not to keep highlighting the age, but for somebody that is relatively new at this, to come in and have this expert pacing for an entire 40 minute experience, 45 minute experience. Like that's some real masterful deployment. I think of gameplay pacing and, you know, it's not even just of storytelling, but specifically of gameplay, right? The idea that they have these little milestones where you find items that give the player flashbacks to past memories and potentially past traumas and whatnot, which further aid your own narrative or backstory that inform the narrative that you're forming, the further you explore this town, the further down the shopping list you get. Um, it's something that makes this far more well-rounded of an experience than you'd be expecting. Again, not to, you know, talk down on sh- on smaller experiences, but it just, it feels so well-realized in a way that you would expect from something like a blood wash, a product that's sold as a full experience, no matter the length. Yeah. And it's like, which is great because uh, and you, you can't discount the influence of developers that have 
brought those things to the table in the first place in, in helping others realize how to do it and prove, you know, hey, you can do this with a small team. You can do this on your own or with, with a couple of people. And yeah, I imagine this took some time still despite that and it is all the better for it. I think that, you know, there's, I get both ways of thinking. Let's put it this way. I get the idea of like trying a concept out. I've seen it put out like when people in like movies and stuff or stories and they're like, oh, don't do short stories. Don't do short movies. Just make a a movie or just make a a, a whole book. And it's like, well, no, but some people, that's the better way to go. That's the way that they form that major idea they want to. And sometimes that's effective. You think of uh, Scott Derrickson made Lights Out, didn't he? And that's short. Which led, you know, now he's had this major career (laughs) in Hollywood. So, you know, sometimes that's the way to go with things. And I think this, like many indie games, proves that you can do it both ways. You know, you can have a little more to your experience, a little more meat on the bones, and do everything you want to do. Because you've got other ideas out there that you want to try later. And yeah, it is great to see this from you know relatively you know unknown new person you know to come in and do something like this yeah and i think also you know aside from the pacing and how richly detailed the environments are and getting that sense of space and the scale of the environments there's so much interactivity that again you know when you describe it they might not sound like something that you haven't experienced before but there's so many different types of interactivity within this small experience right so you have the normal stuff where it's like okay interacting with an environment, uh, holding to interact, you have, okay, I'm going to go talk to a character. The camera centers on that character and then brings up a text box and little things like that. Or even just, you know, using a flashlight to light an environment. Like it's not just using a flashlight. It's the perfect deployment of a flashlight, which is something you and I have talked about before, where in a game, it's not a spotlight, right? It gives you just enough light so you can see your feet and you don't run into a wall. But other than that, it's not this kind of like illuminating device that reveals all, right? And I think that just a little instance like that or a little uh, gameplay mechanic similar to that, that's employed in the right way that, yeah, it makes it easier to traverse an environment while not revealing the horrors that could be awaiting in that dark room. Like that's development or that's gameplay design that I think would be something that you would expect from a team or developer that has done two or three games. Like they have a full understanding of the genre, but also the best way to employ standard gameplay mechanics that don't hinder the genre that they're very much wanting to be a part of or developing experiences for. Um, I think also just like randomly throwing in one little puzzle mini game, right? You go to one of the stores and there's a puzzle mini game to rewire uh, a light sign or neon sign. And it's, there's only one instance of that in this game, but it's full fledged. It's fully thought out. It's reminiscent of anything of like the hacking games in Bioshock. Um, but again, like just using this game as a way to show that you're able to develop multiple interfaces into an experience and doing so in a way that's not only just adequate, but is perfectly serviceable for what it's trying to do and what it shows off and giving the player just a little bit more interactivity in something that is largely exploring an environment i think is fantastic yeah and i think that 
part of the game is crucial in, in what it does in terms of storytelling because it's different on purpose and it, it leans into what happens. I love that about it, thinking back on it, that it, everything it does in there is meant to tell you, you know, make note of this stuff. You know, why is it different? Why should it be different? And it, uh, that works well. And uh, just to sort of clarify on this, this is his sophomore effort, you know. This is, you know, they made a game before this last year called Margareta, which again, apparently is another full game. So it's like two, two full games already. You know, it's just ridiculous that, that um, I've definitely got to check that one out as well because it sounds, yeah, that looks uh, interesting too. But yeah, it's again just surprising. God, it does sound so condescending when you're an old man saying this about someone. <laughs> it's like, but it's surprising how much competence is there. You know, not just because of the youth of it all, but just like to have made two games ever and to be having that confidence is remarkable. You know, I, I could only imagine what they could go on to do, you know, from now on. It's certainly a strong, a strong sophomore effort and just excites for the future and seeing how else that they can implement, you know, a lot of the staples that we take for granted, I think, in, you know, our AAA games or just bigger production games, and yet adding a significance to it that sometimes actually eludes a lot of the implementation of those mechanics and whatnot in bigger games, right? All the things that we just mentioned, there's a significance behind it to the storytelling, to the development of the world in a way that is overall significant to the final product and why, this is such a strong sophomore effort from them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I thought this was uh, probably my favorite of the month. And like you had said, I'm definitely putting this on my early contenders for uh, for my end of the year list of just games that you can't miss no matter the length of them because this was full-fledged in the best way possible and a, a welcome surprise to round out my month for Horror Bites. Yeah, I mean, I just there were some really good ones this month, I have to say. So it, the fact this stood above them is saying something because you know I really had a good time with a lot of them and I think I don't know maybe I felt a little funk recently with having played a lot of big games and just to sort of come back to this and do this again it was just like oh yeah this is working for me nicely you know and um to have all these different experiences you know like I point out you know there's stuff great about Roger and cleaning Redville and ghost in the washing machine and as we said among others it's just great yeah to have a, a great month of random picks you know is uh even when you know you occasionally get this feeling of like okay I'm starting to get some of the patterns now with these games and what they'll do and what's popular and like that and you know it was a Big reason why I said last month oh, I don't want to do any backrooms games because lo and behold, looking this month, there's about twenty different backrooms <laughs> games. Yeah. And you know, I mean that's so played out as a thing already that my son's like, Do you know what backrooms are? I was like, Yes. You know, that sort of thing's given. But it, it's great that you're seeing fresh takes on, on ideas that have already been done. You know, and that is horror in a nutshell for me, you know, to bring something new to experiences that you're familiar with and fond of is the great thing that you want out of it. You you don't want exactly what you had before. You want to have a new version of it. And this is 
been a good month for that, I think. Absolutely, yeah. And before uh, we round out, I just want to remind everybody that if you check out any of these games uh, through the Itch.io store of those developers, you can uh, definitely kick them a few bucks for what you play because I think more than one of these titles this month, in you know, I think all titles are worth something at the end of the day, right? These the idea that you're yes. going to get these experiences that are free of charge, and you know, they're not always going to be your favorite games, but I think that they all implement enough new ideas or enough entertainment that they're at least worth a couple of bucks. And, you know, in the case of something like the shopping list, which is one that, you know, we are very seriously considering for like our end of the year lists already. Um, it's the type of thing that, you know, that's definitely worth a couple bucks because, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, well, if this is what they could do with their sophomore effort, imagine what they're going to be able to do yeah. with their junior effort uh, and whatnot. And I think that that's definitely a way to pay it forward because, you know, a majority of the games on stuff like Itch.io and definitely on Steam when it comes to these types of games, these bite-sized experiences for the most part, are generally free. So it's definitely worth supporting those developers. That's the only way that we're going to get more of these kind of creative horror endeavors that are uh, more often than not ending up being some of our most memorable experiences month to month. So uh, that's just our end of the end of the episode plug for uh, for all the games that we played and, you know, just a, a good rule of thumb in general. As always, Neil, it is a uh, pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Back at you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>